Welcome to the Men at Work podcast, episode 29. I am your host, Travis Streb. Today on the cast, I have got Brett Trainer. Brett is a friend of mine, a colleague of mine. She is a management consultant. She's the founder of Mountain Mentors, an outdoor leadership peer mentoring organization for self-identified women. And she is also a retreat creator where she's running uh, retreats for women in the backcountry to learn about risk and uncertainty. So this cast is really about Brett's journey to founding Mountain Mentors, uh, how it's influenced her life, how it's influenced her work. You know, she's such an accomplished young woman and um, you know we, we got into the gender conversation quite a bit around how men and women perceive risk differently, how, how men and women tend to lead differently, especially in uh, high risk, high uncertainty environments like the backcountry. Um, it's a really, really rich conversation for anyone interested in this. And um, yeah, Brett's just got, just brings so much energy to the conversation. So without further ado, we are gonna jump into episode 29 with Brett Trainer. Here we go. start from the beginning I uh, you know obviously you do a lot you got mountain mentors you got your work you've got your retreats you're working on so you're like this kind of woman on the move (laughs) but where did you I'm I want to start with the mountain mentors piece like what is it and like how did you get into it and why you know it's a lot of questions but let me why don't we start Mm -hmm. and we'll unpack it as we go it's so interesting ask or answering that question because I feel like I've told the story of how Mountain Mentors began so many times, but when it is less about Mountain Mentors as an organization and more about me, I think it starts before then and doing a lot of work as probably a young, naive, I don't know if I was a woman yet, maybe I was a girl. <laughs> we're, a we're, young, naive human. A human, <laughs> I was a human in the world. And the way that I thought... I, the only way I thought you could make a difference was working for a nonprofit. And so I did a lot of work in international development in East Africa. I studied there. I worked for various organizations, did some research. And what I basically decided was I, it was, it, it was a bit irresponsible for me to be there without the specialty training. And when I came back after living in Uganda and Tanzania, I kind of made a commitment that I would get more ingrained in kind of nonprofits and helping people in a more defensible space in BC. And so I would say I was looking for that opportunity. I was always creative. I loved doing fundraising events as a kid. And so when I was working in a full-time corporate fund development job for a large healthcare organization, I wasn't particularly given a chance to be creative. And I think that kind of space provide like when when we had the idea for mountain mentors i was just really to me it was like i have to do this like this is where i can make a difference and so i guess i just keep talking now but that's so cool so (laughs) what well actually i mean well yeah we can keep talking about that but um can you say a bit more about the the international development work like why did you feel like you were not 
equipped or why did, did you feel like you were a burden or what was the <laughs> what was it I think this is the sense I get from a lot of others who have worked in international development but coming there as a you know young white female I just felt like I was perpetuating this kind of colonial saviorism not that that was my intention but I went in with this perspective of asking or the context being how can I help you what can I do versus how can I equip you or how can you be equipped to lead this change in the way that you want for your community and so I I had an amazing time I had an incredible time there but I thought if I go if I come back I need to be here with some sort of expertise longer than six months at a time to actually make some sort of tangible difference and so that was kind of where I got to wow um that's a big realization because like I know I mean I've never done work in international development but I I certainly have I know people that have um I haven't heard the perspective of like wow I got there hoping to change the world and realized that you know (laughs) maybe it was a different approach I don't think I necessarily harmed or uh, the story I tell myself is I didn't harm more than I hurted but or hurted more than I hurt anyone but uh yeah I I had some really interesting experiences in hospitals and like preemie wards of babies and coming into people's homes and uh yeah I just I thought this probably isn't where I can make the biggest impact yeah it's not my space it's not my home it's not my space uh not that not to demean anyone who does international development work. No, it's God, so no. important. Yeah. But yeah, I was like, I want to, I want to influence in my realm. There's room. There's room <laughs> for people to do work anywhere. And I don't know in my view, but um, so, so, so that's kind of where the idea started. But you, so you come back and now you're working in some kind of faceless organization, feeling like you want to make a difference. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I think what I learned was, well, I guess this comes after, but uh, I, I base, I learned that or had, had a bit of an inkling of understanding that business can also make a really big difference in the world and businesses that are run well can have great social impact. And I didn't have to necessarily work for a nonprofit in order to evoke change. And that was kind of a bit of a shift for me. And so uh, that's what led me to eventually going back to business school. But in between deciding to leave the nonprofit world and going back and doing my MBA, I co-founded mountain mentors so that's kind so of what, well i mean just for i know i know i know a bit about it i know you know obviously it's it's your um you know it's a huge part of your life but just for the listeners like what is what is mountain mentors and um you know how did it how did it come to be yeah so mountain mentors is mountain mentors facilitates mentorship relationships for self-identified women in backcountry skiing and climbing. And the whole purpose is to grow the representation of female leaders, not just in these sports, but also just in life and in business. And uh, we're, folk, or we're based in Vancouver in the Sea to Sky Corridor. It's a, we have two seasons or two cohorts a year. So in the summer, it's a climbing cohort. In the winter, uh, backcountry skiing and slipboarding. And our programs or our cohorts are about 60 women and we the kind of cadence of the season is a kickoff event or I guess applications first a kickoff event uh, goal setting and then the mentorship pairs design their own season what success looks like for them and then they move through the season with support from 
us as a team, but kind of on their own. We have various community events and skill development events throughout the season, and then a uh, fun wrap up at the end. So that's, I guess, Mountain Mentors in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. It's, uh, well, it's, I mean, how long has it been around for? This is our fourth winter season, so quite a while. <laughs> four, yeah, four for me, years. yeah, four yeah. whole years. <laughs> oh my gosh. So four, four years, but in four years you've taken it from idea to basically sold out. Yeah, yeah, so we, yeah, so I guess to that idea of, from an idea to sell out, when Taya and I had the idea from Mountain Mentors, we we basically just saw a gap in the programming that was offered, not just to women, but in general to outdoor enthusiasts or recreationalists, which is what I am. I'm not a, I'm a professional athlete. Um, it seemed like you could take a avalanche skills training course to start to get kind of the lay of the land of how to use your safety equipment. So for those who don't backcountry ski, and there's a lot of people in the world who don't, you there's basic things like what do you do if your friend gets buried in an avalanche? How do you find them? How do you rescue them? And then how do you move safely through terrain? This is like the basics that you everyone takes this in a course before you go out or hypothetically. So we saw there was that. And then how do you get from there to pro athlete or someone who is, you know, picking really gnarly objectives to go ski? And we kind of felt like there wasn't a lot of programming at that time, five, six years ago, that spoke to us, spoke to us uh, as adventurers who had goals of progression first versus spoke to us uh, about gender first. And we saw that a lot of gendered programs for women only talked about why women were different and were branded in a really specific way about kind of traditional femininity, which uh, didn't necessarily speak to us, who I, I think of myself as an athlete before, before... I think of myself as like my womanhood when I'm in the mountains. I just, like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So we, we kind of thought that mentorship could be an interesting way to bridge this gap of programs that were offered. And my, originally we are, we wanted to just copy someone else's idea or find an existing program. So we did a whole bunch of research and realized that there wasn't really anything out there, which led us to thinking we should probably start something. And that was not my necessarily my goal at the beginning uh, again, working in nonprofits, seeing just a drain of resources and competition for donor funding, I thought, oh, well, I can't responsibly start an organization unless there's a true need for it. So uh, we determined there was a need in our minds. And then when we launched in September, I guess almost five years ago, uh, we had almost 200 applications in our first wow. week. Wow. So, in your first week? Yeah. we <laughs> And that was... So we actually shut down our mentee applications, and this is all just through word of mouth uh, yeah. advertising, basically. So we shut down mentee applications and only allowed mentors to apply for one more week, and then we started our first season. So that's a, that's that's pretty amazing. Obviously, <laughs> you hit a chord, right? Because to have, I mean, if you had sixty spots and you had two hundred in your first week, you know, it's hard. It's it's you know, as you know, it's hard to you know, generate interest. Um, but obviously there's something there. Can you, I mean, without, without, you know, without obviously criticizing, like, can you say a bit more about the distinction you made between programs that were targeted towards you know, women being different versus a program that's targeted towards athletes who also identify as female? Yeah, I think, uh, my joke that I would always tell at the beginning or like the way I think about this is, 
if someone asks me, why do women like skiing? My response is because it's fun. Why do men like skiing? And it's just like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how to respond to that. Um, I think what we saw is there's, we're, we're socialized in really different ways. And uh, women have different barriers to expressing themselves in the way they want in the mountains or leading or communicating the way they want in the mountains. And because women are so unrepresented in this industry, we decided to focus just on women. And it wasn't about, like, and this is with full acknowledgement that there's a lot of societal things that make it hard for men to express themselves in a lot of ways in the outdoors, too. We just, like, if you look at the stats, at least, I think 85% of the population of avalanche professionals and mountain guides in Canada are white males. Uh, next to construction... The ski guiding industry has the lowest representation of women in, in really? any industry. Yeah. Well, because construction's bad. I mean, I talked to, to Kate Braid on this podcast. Mm-hmm. She said they were trying to push f- to 4% or something or 6%. I forget the exact number, but it was bleak. Yeah. So so it's pretty bleak in the ski guiding industry, too. And things are definitely shifting. I'm sure that if we look at the stats, maybe five or ten years, it's going to be really different. But even five years ago when we started, it was just like... Yeah, there aren't a lot of role models in that in that space, and people say it, it a lot, but you have to kind of see it to be it, and we saw yeah. that mentorship as this blueprint of possibility of what you could become, and um, yeah, and I think for me, it's always been about how do we make more inclusive, safe spaces for everyone versus how do I empower a woman? Like, I think you kind of have to empower yourself. Like, I, it's not my job to do that for you. We, we create a space and facilitate a relationship based on, you know, carefully asked questions in our application, but mentorship is not magic. I can't give that to someone. All we can do is create a condition in which some sort of growth can, can, can occur. So yeah. it's, I mean, it, it's, it's cool that you're focusing on like a, on a specific audience. I mean, you know, I think, you're well aware there's, you know, other barriers and, you know, different, you know, men and people that are, you know, gender fluid identify with different challenges. But this one, you know, you've taken a market or taken a group of people and said, hey, here's a program for you. And I love the, I don't know, I really connect with the idea that I want to, I want to help, I want to help you be a mentor and in in turn help, you know, kind of anyone in the world, depending on who you come in contact with. I, I think of my work with men the same way. Mm-hmm. Like it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, I, in, in some way that's almost more taboo to be focusing on, uh, you know, serving men when obviously there's, you know, some, it's a major imbalances just in the world. But in, in my view, you, you know, you help men kind of awaken to reality and, and yeah. become more aware of their impact. And in turn, the ripple effect is that it, everyone who they come in contact with is going to exactly. benefit. And we can't expect, you know, 15% of the population, if we're talking about the percentage of women, like women in guiding, whatever it is, whether it's 15 or 30, uh, we can't expect that percentage of the population to change the culture. And what I've, it's very permissible, I think now, women, we've kind of had this platform in which to redefine what it means to be feminine, which I think is super rad. Uh, And I think men need that space for that conversation too. And uh, Tay and I have always said, like, you know, it would be so cool to offer a program for, 
for men as well and there are we we try to refer men who ask about mentorship to other organizations because there are some that do something similar none really is uh on a large scale that we do but yeah i've i've uh I think that we're able to hold a space for really productive conversations about gender because it's not about why we're different. It's just how, what gets in our way yeah. and how can we overcome it? Because yeah, I, yeah. I think well, it's so important to have a space for men too. I just I want someone else to do a men's yeah yeah anyone right. on you know, well, Let's see. Yeah, if anybody got, yeah if anyone on the <laughs> podcast is listening and wants to set up a you know. Mountain, mountain, you could even be so man, easy. It's mountain, mountain man, man tours. tours. Yeah, and I, I charge it, I think. <laughs> That's right. And we charge 33% more for the men because That's, of the pay gap or something. That's right, something <laughs> like that. And you can, and if you want to buy that, that trademark from Brett, it'll be, I'll put it in the show notes. Okay, I haven't actually bought the domain name yet, so maybe hold off on that. <laughs> um, can, so I want to, I want to talk a little bit more about where you were just touching on, which is like, what are some of the barriers that women are facing in this industry? Mm-hmm. Um, and I also want to talk about why, like why it is that you got so many men. Let's, why don't we start with, let's start with like, what are some of the things that some of the challenges women are facing? Like, I don't know. I mean, it's not a super well-known industry for a lot of people, mm-hmm. but obviously there's, you know, there's still barriers even when it's like, it should be barrier free. It literally it's the outdoors. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a good a friend of mine, uh, Rachel Reimer, who's doing, she's a uh, avalanche, or sorry, she's a wild forest firefighter, and works in the guiding industry. Has done a lot of really interesting work about diversity and mental health uh, in Canada's avalanche and guiding professional kind of industry. And I mean, there's a lot of assumptions about women as guides, and a lot of really specific barriers that they face in terms of. I mean, just sexual harassment as well. Um, but I think two things that really stood out to me from her research that is echoed by what I re- have read in thousands of women's applications over the past four years, which, as you say, isn't that long, but to me feels like forever, <laughs> is that, you know, women are assumed to be less confident and motherhood is um, perceived to compromise women's risk assessment capabilities. And so... You know, women, female guides are often given tasks that are less challenging, less risky, whereas men are expected to shoulder the burden of putting themselves into a more dangerous situation. And um, when I looked through all of the different applications of our participants this season and just was searching for themes, what I really saw was what gets in in women's way is this lack, this lack of confidence, this confidence gap, and uh, which led me to do this like deep search in HBR about the confidence gap in women and is it real and does it exist? And um, I think there's this very famous stat by Gallup maybe where you know men apply for a job if they yes. only have 60% yeah. of the qualification. Or less. <laughs> or less. Yeah, and women don't apply unless they have 90. I see that play out in this backcountry scenario, like women who say that, what would make a really big difference for them or what gets in their way is the confidence to take the lead, to make decisions, to feel like they have the assurance and the tools to think for themselves. And the thing is, what I see is, and this is all just speaking from my experience reading these applications, is 
a perspective of confidence being about having certainty or knowing, which if you think about the nature of avalanche terrain and the wilderness, it's, it's unknowable, it's uncertain, things emerge, you have to make decisions while you're out there, you can't actually control what happens. And so I think a really, um, a really powerful shift that I see from women in our program, and maybe I'm just jumping ahead from the question yeah, that yeah, you yeah. already asked, was changing the context of certainty being from about, I have to know and control and have all the answers, I have to have this 90% before I can do X, before I can plan a trip by myself, before I can ski this line off this peak because, I don't know, because it looks scary, before I can bring someone else's experience in me, I need to take this course and have this gear. So th- this is all the, a context of getting confidence from certainty and control versus confidence from having trust in yourself or confidence from the trusted assurance or reliance on the integrity of something. And so what we've really tried to do with Mountain Mentors now from our kickoff event throughout the whole season is have them elevate their confidence in themselves so they can trust their decision to just manage uncertainty and risk, um, you know, kind of in this un- really uncertain environment. And we do that in a lot of ways, but a lot of it is through, you know, trust in your partner and your mentorship relationship in this person. And so that's, I would say that mentors get potentially more value out of the program than mentees because having someone count on you has you lead differently, has you prepare differently. And I'm actually participating in the program as a mentor for the first time this year. Wow. Which has been very humbling because all the things that I hear people have heard women say to me over the past few years, I almost feel like I feel like the self-doubt and I'm not good enough and am I creating a big enough space for my mentee? So uh, that's kind of what I see the biggest thing for women specifically, at least what I've seen. Wow. That's well. I mean, that well, there's, there's a lot in there. Yeah, that's a lot of talking. I'm sorry. No, it's uh, like mm-hmm. I love the depth that you got. Like the distinction between feeling the confidence and trust internally in an uncertain scenario. Like, I mean, obviously, anything, whether you're backcountry skiing or you're just in out in the wilderness, anything related to that is a huge amount of uncertainty. But not trying to get it from knowing everything, but instead mm-hmm. of having the internal piece, like. I think that's also what makes your program different is it's less like the skill is less tactical and almost more um, like I want to say spiritual. I'm not sure if it's the right word, but almost like an internal knowing. Yeah, that's I think that's how I've started to think about it. And at first that came from just, you know, us not being guides, really respecting the importance and work of you know, professional ski guides who, who, whose realm is this and who also teach a lot about, you know, human factors and avalanche decision making. So kind of the social influences that our group dynamics have on our safety as well. Like this is, these are all things that have been researched uh, and are taught by professionals. And so we, we in no way are trying to, to do that. We're trying to provide something else a bit more nuanced, um, yeah and and really it's it's so interesting it's almost like the more what we've seen is the more events that we provide and the more support we provide it's almost like the less ownership people in the program have over the over their own development too it's it's 
really the successful mentorship pairs are the ones that are are driven by by the pair not waiting for for us to create something for them and I think that's why, why I said like you can't be empowered you have to empower yourself you know it's uh, <laughs> I love you know I, I, well I mean it's like it sounds kind of cliche but it's 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 cliche because it's so true I mean the the one of the programs that I'm in with um, with my teacher is you know it's, it's a men's program and the it's the same the same flavor though of mm-hmm. like he you know he, he he'll constantly just throw things back like as a leadership program like take the lead and you're yeah. like yeah but you're the teacher you should mm. <laughs> and it's but it's it's so true it's also the I would imagine that in a in a scenario where you're leading people in pretty dangerous situations potentially or let's say risky you have to you can't wait for like oh well the book doesn't say this like there's going to be so many situations where you have to use just pure judgment mm-hmm. and you know to to make a decision about something and having the kind of practicing the skill of stepping into leadership it sounds like is a core part of what people get out of this i think so and i think I think when I, I think of in the world of backcountry skiing or moving through uncertain environments, it doesn't even have to be backcountry skiing. If people are listening and they 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 go hiking or they go kayaking, you know, there's certain things that you can take care of before you get there, like per, things that you should have prepared perfectly, like what food you've packed, what gear you're bringing, how to use your safety equipment taking a first aid course, packing your first aid kit, all these things that we can control ahead of time and like you should you should really have that dialed. There's no excuse to not be prepared perfectly. Um, with backcountry skiing too, it might be reading an avalanche forecast or doing research about your route, understanding the snowpack. So there's all those things. And then there's all the things that you can't control when you're out there and that's, uh, you know, like weather communication between people on your team, how your body's feeling. And I think that by just having women not relate to not knowing as being wrong is the, is the first step. And just because you don't know doesn't mean you shouldn't be there because no one knows. There's probably some dude or someone else blasting a skin track ahead of you and they probably don't know where they're going. They're just going to look over the, like, so they just have to get to the next high point and then see what comes next. And so I think, yeah, that, that's kind of what I see. I like, I like that. Yeah, get to the next high point and see what's <laughs> next, but trust yourself to get to the next high point. Um, you know, we're kind of, we're kind of dipping into the risk and uncertainty piece here and you said something earlier that is still with me and I want to I want to pick up on it in this like you said that in the industry and you know we use the industry broadly I'm sure there's a lot of great people out there but industry (laughs) broadly you know you said that women traditionally were like because of because of them having motherhood instincts they were less apt to make good decisions about risk did I capture that or like, well, this is, and I, I probably am not the best to speak to this because this is Rachel's research, uh, which I could send you. Yeah. I can link it up that, in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But there's just basic when she surveyed, you know, people working in the, in, like the avalanche professional and guiding industry in Canada that 
that was a perception at least that existed amongst participants, men and women that, uh, yeah, just, just that as like women are less confident women, uh, have a different relationship to risk than men. And I think all of those things, so I'm not, I don't want to like speak to that so much, but, uh, when we find, so when we find ourselves in a group in the outdoors, moving through avalanche terrain or hiking or whatever, we bring all these sorts of societal biases about our gender there with us. And it's so interesting the way it plays out in an all, like when I go out with all women versus when I go out and there's men in the group, like, and I'm not saying because men are like X, women are like Y, but uh, I find that in all female groups, there's permission to ask questions, permission not to know when oftentimes when I voice a concern, it's it's not dismissed from my female friends, whereas uh, sometimes I feel like that's not the case yeah. once you introduce a couple of uh, men into the group. And again, I, there's lots of really interesting research on human factors about, well, you know, what is the safest group size? What is it like the, the likelihood of being caught in an avalanche increases as soon as you put one dude in your group and then increases. So I, I don't really want to speak to that so much because it's not my... Yeah, yeah. You know what? Yeah. I I love I love that you want to you know that you're sticking you know sticking to what you know. I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> I like to talk about stuff that we don't know much about, but I mean, your your findings and or the research findings in the backcountry are obviously you know they're I shouldn't say obviously they're similar to what we find in you know in in the business realm and research around bias. Um, you know, we as as men, you know, tend to exude confidence in the absence of information or knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, whether it's because we were brought up that way or whatever, it's just a, it's interesting. And I mean, you you posted a thing that that caught my eye on Instagram a couple weeks ago. You oh, you spoke at an event, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> and you pulled you pulled the room, and it was like I, I forget the exact question. I'll, I might butcher it here, but you can correct me. But something like, <laughs> you know, how how safe do you feel? you know, in a group of all women versus a, a, mi- a mixed group or something, or how much... I think it was what what is safer, a group of all women right. or a group of all all men or yeah. something. Yeah. Yeah, and what was the response? Or is there a difference? The response was like 93% said it was safer with the, with a group of all women. <laughs> well, I mean, there is data that shows that, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, so there, there's yeah. some data out there, but... Yeah. What, um, what, what do you think is, is behind it? I I a trend that I have seen traveling with you know a diverse group so men and women or just all men um, a lot versus an all women group is often comes down to commitment and I would say that there's a difference in being committed to an experience for the day or learning something new or being out in the sunshine or skiing a bit of pow versus being committed to some sort of objective like skiing a specific line and uh I would say that because women in general are more like we're perhaps more effective communicators spend a lot more time making sure that everyone in the group is taken care of and having a you know feeling take like feeling taken care of while being out there there's more space to talk about like being committed to something other than skiing some intense line off a peak or whereas, getting or getting to the peak if you're getting hiking to, yeah, getting to something. the top or 
Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I would say that most most women that I know are could care less about whether or not they actually ski the line or not. I mean, I don't feel this way all the time. Sometimes I want to do certain things, but I recognize that that can be dangerous. And I think that uh, I see a lot more commitment to the the objective maybe when I'm skiing with men. Yeah, and that's I think a... a lot more social pressure to to know the right answer or to know where they're going. And so there's not the turning back and saying, what do you think? Where could we go? Which is something that I'm constantly doing with my female friends, group discussions about where we're going and how everyone's feeling. Uh, a bit more of an assumption that we're all kind of along for the ride maybe when we're... I think that's hard. I think that that's not yeah. necessarily something that most men want, but it's just something kind of what happens. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a... it's um, You know, you're... You're reminding me of a of a situation I was in with our with our colleague when we were out skiing, right? I was out skiing with Don. Yeah. And um, you know, two dudes in the backcountry. You know, we were like wasn't exactly a super aggressive trip we were on. It was like an hour and a half up to the top of Mount Seymour and then ski down. Yeah. It was early season, pretty marginal conditions. But what happened was we got to the point where we're coming down the mountain. And I've skied on Seymour hundreds of times and but what I did was abdicated leadership because uh, nothing to do with gender well maybe there was but whatever at least not in my head but it was more like well this is the person that's been in the military yeah he knows how to navigate better than I do mm-hmm. so he took a right when I thought we, were, we should take a left and I thought oh well and the light wasn't the best I thought well he must know where he's going <laughs> but what's interesting was though I think this is maybe that there's a gender piece here is like I just wasn't willing to speak up yeah. Because yeah. it was like, well, here's this guy who's like, you know, more experienced than I am and knows how to, he was in the, in the army. My gosh, those guys know how to navigate. I've been criticized by many people about my inability to give good directions. <laughs> um, so it, but it, it is, there's something there about the kind of having the feeling safe, feeling confident. I don't know what it is to actually speak up and go, hey, I'm not, I don't think we're going the right way. Ultimately, mm-hmm. I did, and we and we got back on track, and we weren't headed for a catastrophe anyway. It was just a different line, but um, I, I can I could see how that could play out if you had a group of men, and it's like no one's really either wanting to speak up or not. And there's good research around this, um, or in in the corporate world, yeah. Right? Like men are men experience things that they don't like at work, like you know, like a kind of a more aggressive form of leadership or kind of a winner take all mentality, mm-hmm. but they don't want to speak up because they assume everybody else is happy. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. I think the thing that's so interesting is again, from this research on human factors and specifically in an avalanche train is that the safest groups in the, in the backcountry are those where there are no perceived leader. And so it's really important to not assume, like to not start a day not discussing that because even just by saying at the beginning, hey, by the way, we're all we're all equals here. There is no leader. You kind of punch through that assumption where I might defer to someone who's been touring longer than me or to my boyfriend who perhaps did all of the route planning and I did all the food planning, which by the way used to happen a lot when my partner and I would go <laughs> train together. And I had to like I had to take responsibility for that. That wasn't him oppressing me it was just falling into this kind of pattern and yeah I've I've definitely had experiences touring with 
good male friends in my life where I've I feel like I'd found my voice and I and I'd say which already is a a scary thing to have to say hey I actually don't think we should go there we should we should go this way and and I've been shut down and I would hazard to say I've never expressed uncertainty or fear to my female partners in the mountains and have had them shut me down. Not that it doesn't happen, but... Yeah, less likely. Yeah. Right. I mean, obviously, we're just going on your experience, you know, like, you know, yeah. the, the the research piece we can... But and you've you've been out in the backcountry a lot. You have a ton of experience. You know, I know, I know you don't like to say that because probably part of your programming too, but, you know, <laughs> but you do. You know, I, yeah. I look at, uh, you know, I would love to go out in the backcountry with you. Part of me when I Let's see what it. you do is like, I'm like, <laughs> I feel like wholly inadequate. Like, I don't even know if I'd be able to keep up. Um, but... <laughs> Can I want to let's I want to hit this again. You said something. You said there's a piece of research. I can link it up on the show notes. But this the 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 crux of it was you said when people go out in groups where there's no known leader, they're safer. Yeah. Really. Yes. Wow. Okay. I'm not sure if that's the same for whether or not you're out with a professional guide. Like yeah, if it's a guided group. Yeah. But I think it gets into this thing of there's there's a term. So there's an acronym for understanding human factors in the outdoors called FACETS, and it has to do with all these kind of social heuristics that might have us act a certain day or might influence our behavior, and one of them is this thing they call the expert halo, and that's just deferring to the person who's perceived to know the most, but it's often uh, this person who knows the most that might have familiarity in a certain area that starts to miss things, starts to miss some sort of signal that is sticky or different or uncommon that someone who's newer like having a bit more of a naive perspective might notice and if we don't create a space where that beginner feels comfortable to ask a question then that's where we miss cues that could kill us and so it's important that we are out there as equals so that everyone has a space to ask those questions because we don't want to miss something when we're out in avalanche terrain and so there can be yeah. there can be a discussion about who knows the most, who's leading. Obviously, we can't be stopping every ten meters to get group consensus, but uh, it takes a lot of management. And so, um, yeah, that's a that's a well, it's a it's a super interesting piece of research. Um, I'll see we'll see if I can dig it up and link it up. I people. can definitely send it over. I should yeah. have uh, been more prepared with my stats before. No, no, this no. That's the whole point of the conversation. We get to go <laughs> afterwards and provide the show notes. That's yeah. why podcasting is so great. I can I can send it to you. After. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. So, um, what? So what about? So obviously, yeah. I mean, like having a professional guide, you're gonna have you know you have a but like that's that's great. I'm making this up, but I would assume most people are going out just with friends. Yeah, your average recreationalist in the Sea to Sky Corridor is not hiring a guide every time they go out. Right. There's nothing like going out with a guide, though. It's incredible. I learned so much. I think it's so important. Uh, but yeah, most most people don't have a couple hundred bucks every day to to do that unless they're, you know, at a heli skiing operation or something. But then you're not making decisions. You're just following. You're like, when you're out with a guide, you're not... Yeah, you get you know, to relax. Yeah, a you're bit just more. you're just shredding. Yeah, having having sign, a good time. Spending, yeah, sign me up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Free helicopter ride. Um, so how did you know you obviously outside of Mountain Mentors? You know, you and I work together at, at Viewscape, but how do you see this tying in? And we've talked a bit about it, but how do you see it tying into the world of of organizations and corporate? Yeah, 
Hmm. I guess. Hmm. I, I don't know how to answer it almost like from a person. I guess I see how it's helped tie in my work or my realm of expertise into a consulting world where I often feel like I'm the youngest and only female in the room. Because you are. Because I am. <laughs> and with a client the other week, we were all out for drinks and we played a fun game where they all guessed how old I was, which is my nightmare, and they guessed about right. And I was like, shit, I thought that I was projecting older. Apparently I'm not. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's a common, um, you know. <laughs> common fear i think that one's gender neutral yeah <laughs> being worried about being the youngest i think is is uh you know that one's escaped the gender piece but but you do talk about you do talk about risk and uncertainty a lot um yeah you know in our work and you know you've got you have a unique perspective mm-hmm. because you're working like I, I don't know i would argue certainly like when you're dealing with life and death your um your skills around good decision making matter more in my in, yeah. in my in my opinion than yeah. if you're leading a company obviously you can have you know drastic impact on people's lives because you could you know yeah fold the company but in general people the corporate you know is not life and yeah death. i guess the difference is being outdoors is like this great privilege i have to recreate in a beautiful space and not a lot of people do so yes it's life or death but it's also like wow i have a lot of privilege to be able to be backcountry skiing right now but i think I think that the perspective of being able to thrive or be comfortable in uncertain environments uh, is something that, I don't know, that I see a lot of our client, a lot of clients struggling with, whether it's a bias they have based on the industry they're in, perhaps engineers or living in highly controlled, regulated environments where we kind of, where the answer is important and it's important to get it right and it's important to be precise, but then you know, something happens and an accident occurs, uh, a company is acquired, the industry, like the economy plummets, things happen that we can't control and this willingness to be open to what a different way of doing things is definitely a barrier I see in a lot of clients. And I don't know if it's just the nature of the clients that we work with, that a, there's a lot more individuals who kind of live in the realm of like, of certainty and detail and process maybe it's just what we condition people to want in business we want to make we want to distill everything down to some sort of ordered structured system but and i don't see as many people who live in this comfort of creativity and spontaneity and uh possibility so uh it's a hard it is, it's it, a hard place yeah. to live though right i mean we're all i mean most of us are trying to eliminate uncertainty in life mm-hmm. but i mean well, as we speak right mm-hmm. we have forget whether they're clients like i mean there's just companies everywhere organizations trying to deal with coronavirus right which yeah. from an uncertainty perspective i mean i won't say nobody saw it coming but certainly it wasn't the thing that people were talking about three months ago as we entered the new year of 2020 they weren't going hmm I'm, i feel like i'm unprepared for a pandemic you know as a regulated electric utility or something like you, it's just it's not in the in the mm-hmm. realm of thinking but how does how does how does kind of risk and uncertainty being such a, a constant in the backcountry? Like, what are some of the skills that 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 are that are transferable there? Hmm. 
That's an interesting question. I think that... I think the thing that, to me, is the been the greatest carryover that I see is being able to make distinct what you can control and what you can't control. Mm. And then you should worry about the things you can control. And there's uh, Dominic Gauthier. He was an, an Olympian. He's a coach for Olympians on Canada's team right now. I think I heard him speak last week and he said something that really resonated with me, which was uh, perfect preparation gives me the freedom to accept the consequences. And so I think understanding what part, in it, whether it's in a business, say, what part of your role or what part of your business or organization can be structured and simplified and it makes sense to put a process around and what part what part can't be codified what part do you need to iterate where do you need to be creative this is like the realm of say scrum or agile thinking and and let's make really clear what realm we're in and what what is needed so that we can uh yeah operate in that way i think that to me has been useful especially with in a backcountry scenario as well like what I can control, what I can't control, and then how do I move forward, what actions are appropriate based on what sort of context I'm in. And I think I've seen that be quite transformational for, we have a client who mm, wanted to, in order to scale, realize that they had a lot of systems that were not perfected or were even, I would say, broken and so in order to scale or grow in the way they wanted, they're trying to dial in all of these, they're trying to operationalize all of these ways of working in their company and receiving a bit of pushback. And we kind of took them through a process where we had them see that certain things make sense to put a structure around and create some sort of project plan and other things. Maybe we need a different approach. Maybe we can let go of trying to perfect and, and operationalize because it lives in this realm of emergence and not knowing. I think that at least how, if people can see that, then it gives them freedom to act appropriately wherever they stand. Yeah. <laughs> it almost sounds like it's, um, it's like the, the feeling of like, I don't I actually don't know. Mm-hmm. Like there's certain things where you're like, yeah, this, like, these are things we can, you know, we can, I don't know, control, but at least, yeah, we kind of understand. And then there's the realm of like, of, I don't know. And um, it's got me thinking about how often that gets used. And I want to take it back to the backcountry for a second. Like when you, it feels like there's a role, even for a professional guide, potentially, to just be like, I actually don't know the best way totally. for us to go. And like, is that, am I, you know. Well, that... I would, yeah, I would say if we're talking about knowables or what can be known, they're in an ordered place like again what we pack how we prepare what we can put a project and a process around this is like those are knowables on the other side of kind of in a realm of chaos a complete disaster there's unknowables that you can never know and then there's just kind of in this realm of complexity or uncertainty or which I would say is is the backcountry is like the business environment we're working in uh kind of unknown unknown they're unknowns and so once we just understand that there are certain things that we don't know then we can make decisions we can just keep moving forward instead of being paralyzed by not knowing 
It's like, oh great, we don't know. Now, well, now what? <laughs> so yeah. So let, we're, let's we're try gonna... something. Let's see if it works, and let's try it again. Let's iterate. Let's start a project that could fail, and and then change it if we need to. Uh, yeah, and that's kind of the realm of not knowing, which. Hell yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, the realm, the realm of the unknown yeah. is, is definitely a hell yeah. <laughs> you know, it's... Because um, you don't have to be an expert in that realm, which is something that terrifies me. <laughs> I'm definitely not motivated to be a master. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's... And, and, you know, and it's... I mean, leadership is not necessarily... It's not about achieving mastery. Yeah, exactly. I a mean, mountain with no top. <laughs> You like that one? A mountain with no top. It's like Mount St. Helens. The top just got blown. <laughs> I like it. The mountain, the mountain with no top. So, um, how, like, when, when you're when you're looking out at at mountain mentors, what are you, what are you hoping? Like, what are you really, or you know, what are you kind of? Um, it's the word I'm looking for. What do you think is possible when you when you look at the impact you guys could have? Yeah. I think it's so interesting because in a world of startups and pressure to get as big as you can and then sell out and cash out, um, Taya and I have had to be very firm with what the purpose of Mountain Mentors is, not just based on our mission, but also what works for us as two young women starting a side hustle that became a full-time hustle on top of a full-time job so I've always worked full-time doing mountain mentors so has Taya my my co-founder and we've had people reach out to us from all across North America Europe someone from like people from Nepal asking wow hey could you bring mountain mentors to my community which at first was like oh my god who would have thought that people would be so interested it was so humbling it was so exciting uh, and then it was a bit of, we had to realize that, okay, well, we don't have the capacity to take that on. And so then we had to define what does growth look like for mountain mentors? Is it introducing new cohorts in new geographic locations? Is it like, what does it look like? And for the first three years, we really were just focused on how do we grow the impact of our program here? So we, our cohort got a bit bigger. We offered more events. We invested a lot more into the program so that we could ensure that the actual experience women had in the program was impactful before we started to, you know, expand across, like, take over the world, say. Uh, but what we've kind of decided now, too, is that we don't want to be a global phenomenon. I think we've had people reach out in, interested in starting a cohort in their town, and we've always entertained that. And I would say we're still open to it, but when, when people realize... <laughs> how hard Taya and I work for nothing, <laughs> not for nothing, but for no financial yeah. kickback, they start to realize that maybe that's not something that they are prepared to do. And we've picked a funding model that we're reliant on our own source revenues and programming fees and specific events versus applying for grant funding because it's just, we feel like it's much more responsible to the sustainability of our program. So when I think of what's possible for Mountain Mentors, I think of a self-sufficient, uh, you know, not-profit organization that is profitable, that will continue to exist beyond the whim of a donor or a grant funder, uh, that, that it is more about just me and Taya anymore, or Taya and I anymore. And that's 
kind of the phase that we're in is building up our team, honing in on our core purpose of our program and, and really setting it up to live beyond the two of us. Uh, yeah. So that's, and I see, I mean, yeah. And then I, what's possible for me post mountain mentors is exciting too, but <laughs> yeah. Well, I do want to talk about that in a second, but what do you, what else, what's possible do you think for, for the, you know, I know I certainly think we're in a new paradigm for, for leadership. You know, I, I talk about that a lot, you know, and, and, I, and obviously it needs to include women to, you know, a, a huge degree more than it has. I mean, what do you think that mountain mentors, what more can, what more impact do you think you can have in the realm of, you know, supporting, supporting women just to be better leaders overall I mean obviously I know it's not your intent but it sounds like you're having the impact of it well I think the most to me when I measure the success of our program or how we measure the success of our program isn't how many people were in our program and it isn't how many cohorts we've opened up across Canada it's how many mentees are now mentors Mm. how many women report that they're now confident to take the or able to take the lead when they weren't before and this year in our cohort of 60 about 60 women I think I don't have the exact statistic but I think about 20% of our mentors were mentees last season which is kind of huge so if you think about what's possible I just see kind of season after season year after year mentees coming into the program you know unsure lacking confidence, uh, afraid, waiting for someone to kind of take them along to being willing to step into a leadership role and say, you know what, maybe maybe all I can do is teach you how to use your gear and take you for a night tour on Seymour, but I feel like I'm willing to do that. Like that is a big deal for, I think, a, someone to identify themselves as a leader and step into that possibility than it is to be kind of promoted into it by someone else. And so... I would love to see Mountain Mentors exist, to be honest, the same way it exists now, but just uh, kind of bringing women along that kind of journey from mentee to mentor to then to, I don't know, doing some sort of other internal event. But um, it really is all about community, and I think we underestimated that in the beginning. We just thought, oh, we're providing pairings. We're, it's a one-on-one program, mentee-mentor, and when we realized that the real value women get out of it is just a community of like-minded people who support them in their in their goals outside of just the mountains so i you know i really like that you touched on the community piece it is such a buzzword right now (laughs) everyone's like oh it's community-based or i'm like oh my goal is to build community and i i don't know if i've ever really heard a good definition of it until until now like did i say oh did i define it you 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 gave me a flavor (laughs) of it which is that your your mentees become mentors Mm-hmm. And so the community is actually self-sustaining. It's not reliant on a guru per se or a, a community leader mm-hmm. per se. I mean, you and Taya obviously have forged the path, but your vision is that it just exists almost without you. Exactly. Um, and we we almost wondered if we would put ourselves out of business at the beginning. We thought if we make these kick-ass pairs that women wouldn't have found otherwise, why would they need us? Like, yeah. why why do they need the matchmaker once they found their match? <laughs> and so we were like, shit. Do we need to change our model? But people keep coming back. And we actually have 
sometimes kept pairs together season over season, or a mentee in climbing is then become a mentor in skiing for someone else. And I think, yeah, it's, it's quite, now we have this initiative this year in our season, we call them, so we put on these events called Skillshares every year. So it might be a companion rescue course for climbing. So, you know, what if someone falls climbing, hits their head and you need to go up and rescue them or, you know, be able to call search and rescue. So specific skill courses there that are led by guides. And in the winter we do uh, a Skillshare day with some female patrollers on Whistler Blackcomb, which is super fun. We now have a mini Skillshare initiative that was started by three women, mentees and mentors from our program who wanted to provide an opportunity for women in the program to step up into leadership roles on their own and just host events at their homes with on topics that they feel comfortable leading and teaching in as a way to practice that skill. And so we've had breathwork workshops, we've had backcountry cooking and planning, we've had snow science. Uh, and this is like, I haven't done any of that. Yeah. It's, we've just said, here's a template or here's the login for Eventbrite, make your event and we'll approve it. Like, I, lo- I love it. It's like the... <laughs> It's, 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 it flies in the face of so much like leadership training. So instead of like, instead of us, instead of you saying, I'm going to teach you the skills and then you'll be a leader. It's like, I'm going to put you in a position to lead and you're going to learn how to lead, and, you know, with guidance and mentorship. But yeah. it's, it's really quite different. Um, and uh, I, yeah. I don't know. Uh, this just what brings to mind me, I think now we're entering kind of the end of the season where we do a survey and we, we get feedback, like what worked, what didn't, what got in your way. And we, we do this throughout the season too. There's bountiful opportunities for women to put their hand up and say, hey, this isn't working. My mentee never calls me back or my mentor tore their ACL. Like we, we intervene when need be. But where I've always been operating from in the past few years was kind of a place of, oh, I'm serving you. I want to make sure that we change the program to suit your needs. And when women would complain about something that gets in their way, we would quickly adjust and try to fix. And we've been having a really interesting conversation about how the feedback process this year won't be about giving a space for complaint um, and making an opportunity to reflect on like, where did you take responsibility this season to lead in the way you wanted to or reach your goals and where did you fall short? And how did both those spaces make you feel and what was the impact? Um, Cause I think that's, that's something we haven't done as good of a job of at as I think we could have. So, and that takes a bit of a stand from us. It's like, yeah. if you didn't have the best experience in our program. Let's, let's like look at why you didn't. Yeah. And instead of giving you an opportunity to complain about it. So <laughs> oh, I love I'm, a, it. I'm a, I'm a, <laughs> yeah, I think it'll be really interesting. Uh, that, that's such a, <laughs> that's been, that was a really powerful lesson for me that happened to me uh, last year. In the, in the leadership program I'm in, that our, um, the, our teacher gave us a forum to complain. And then the very next thread was, okay, how are you responsible for creating this reality that you just complained about? Oh, I'm going to use that exact yeah, cadence of question. It was great. It was great. It was, yeah, uh, yeah t- take that away because it is, you know, of course, he's, he's going, look, there's a part of this that I can take. Mm-hmm. But 90 plus percent of this is like, you why didn't you come to me earlier why did you wait for me to ask to complain even or like why didn't you speak up when the guy i paired you with just like ghosted you or why didn't you instead of complaining to me why didn't you call him out 
Right. Exactly. Like that, so, you know, it's, a, it's, I love that, that model of leadership where you, you know, you take full responsibility for yourself before, you know, assigning blame, but then there's, there's room for it. Um, I do want to, I want to, you know, wrap this conversation soon here, but I mean, we've talked about your, obviously, you know, your work with Mountain Mentors a lot. This carries over into your, your corporate work, um, you know, where you're, you're working in consulting and organizational leadership and culture. But you also are doing these retreats, so you know I don't know how planning that, to. <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, yeah, I don't know how you have time. But can you can you talk a little bit about the retreat you have coming up? Because I, I think it's a um, it's another one of these things that's a very unique model, and I'm I'm really yeah. curious to hear about it. Yeah, I'm really curious to see what it all ends up looking like when yeah, I do my first Yeah, something will one. happen, right? Yeah, yeah, something will happen, but it's not known. So yes, uncertainty, <laughs> leading in uncertainty. Um, yeah. I think when I think about what's, I need to get out of my own way when it comes to letting Mountain Mentors be less about me, and uh, but what it's given me is this amazing platform uh, to hear from a lot of women, to listen to a lot of people, to interact with the outdoor industry in a really interesting way, and uh, I would love to combine kind of what I've learned and what I do with Mountain Mentors with the leadership development work that we do at Viewscape with clients. And uh, I think a great space for me to take that on as I'm still somewhat young and learning is, is kind of melding those two worlds. And so I, when Taya and I were talking about how to, we went through a discussion at some point that was how do we make Mountain Mentors our full-time thing? Can we even? And we kind of decided that we couldn't to keep the, kind of core vibe of the program alive. We couldn't turn it into something big or, or corporate, but we kind of saw ourselves as being able to, what we did want to do is uh, be experts in kind of female leadership outside of just the outdoors. And so um, the first step I think is bringing, using outdoor experiences and using the backcountry as a context specifically for leadership development, but not in a mentorship way in a, in kind of a corporate leadership retreat. And so, uh, I was speaking to a connection of mine, Leah Evans, who, uh, is amazing. She started a organization called Girls Do Ski, which is a freestyle ski camp in Revelstoke for women only when she was, I think, 19. She's super young. She's also a professional skier for Patagonia. She's an ACMG hiking guide, and she works up at this amazing place called Whitecap Lodge in the summer. And we started talking about how we could combine our skill sets or our experiences working with women. And she she said, it'd be so cool to host Mountain Mentors Group at Whitecap. And I kind of thought about it, and I was like, oh, I have this tendency to take on way too much. I probably shouldn't do that. It's also really outside of Mountain Mentors scope because we're not a hiking program. And I was like, how could I still do something with Leah and then I thought like this is exactly an opportunity to do what I've talked about doing and so uh yeah so we're hosting our first retreat at Whitecap in July it's a three-day immersive leadership retreat at Whitecap and for women for women yes okay well we'll wait for the neutral version yeah well (laughs) yeah To, to be to be released um but the whole theme is kind of thriving in uncertainty and yeah. not knowing. And uh, Leah's a high-performance coach and guided in, or trained in meditation. So we'll be basically we'll be eating incredible food, 
hiking in the mountains, having discussions about uncertainty and fear and, you know, learning those things that are knowable, like how do I use my compass? How do I use my map? How do I, uh, we have a backcountry chef, Sid Badger, who is amazing at also like, how do we prepare all the food that we need for our day so that we don't get five hours in and get really cranky and hungry, which is my (laughs) personal specialty. Uh, So yeah, I'm really excited about it to kind of explore those themes in a more immersive way. Uh, just completely off the grid at this place that has a sauna in the middle of an alpine lake. So yeah, the pictures, the pictures yeah. for those, I'll link up this in, in the show notes. The pictures are like just bliss. It looks amazing. It does look um, like bliss. Yes. You know, no matter how you identify, it would be an incredible experience. So that you're going to have how many lucky women get to go on this thing? 12. And I have not really started marketing it yet. Probably because I'm too scared, but two people have already registered. Yeah, it's it's gonna <laughs> it's gonna sell out um, for sure. So yeah, yeah. So I'll I'll link that up. Um, yeah, I I think I think we can cap it off there, Brett. I this is um, this been fun just to hang and and chat about you and like all the shit you're doing in the world. It's mind boggling, um, and I'm just so happy that you're out there doing it. So. I mean, thanks for being a guest on the show, for talking about some stuff that I know it's not all your area of expertise, and you know, <laughs> we'll make sure we don't paint you as the expert, but more as the expert in, you know... And in, not knowing. In the, ex- the expert in the unknown, Brett <laughs> Trainer. Um, and uh, yeah, like, thanks, thanks yeah. for being here. That was freaking awesome. Thanks. Whew. All right, that is a wrap on episode 29 with Brett Trainer, I'm sure you can see she is up to a lot in the world and has a, a, an alarming amount of perspective on this topic. So look, if you want to find out more about Brett, I'm going to link up everything in the show notes. You know, Mountain Mentors is incredible. Her work uh, with me at Viewscape is, is great. I will tell you her retreat this summer will sell out and it will sell out fast. So if you are interested in this outdoor leadership risk and uncertainty retreat she's running in the summer, I'll link it up in the show notes to make sure you can get access right away. And if you enjoyed this cast, as always, I really appreciate your reviews. Wherever you listen to your podcast, you can post a review. I also uh, love hearing your comments. You can leave your comments on my webpage since most uh, podcast platforms don't let you do that. My webpage is travisstreb.com. Under the podcast page, you can leave comments and I will get back to you. Thank you. And we'll talk to you next week for episode 30.